0: Welcome to Comically Confused, a new 52 podcast. We're covering the entire new 52 one book at a time. I'm your host, Grant. I'm your host, Nate. And Nate, what book are we covering this week?
1: Revealing one of the weirdest curates in, in the 52, Frankenstein in the Age Shade.
0: Yeah, so in the spirit of Halloween here, we wanted to cover something a little bit spookier. Uh, so as our first kind of obscure or outlier book outside of the traditional DC superheroes, uh, what'd you think of Frankenstein, Nate? Uh, one of the best action books I r- read in recent years. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you liked it because uh, that at least leaves one of us because uh, I think this is actually the most let down I've been by a new 52 book yet. So uh, I, I'm going to have some divisive thoughts here.
1: All right. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how we both, what we like about books and what she dislike about the book. So it's going to be interesting. But uh, what is your history with, Frankenstein or Frankenstein in DC.
0: Yeah. So Frankenstein is one of those characters kind of like uh, what I said in my Batman episode of like, he's so present in culture that like, I don't have a distinct first memory of Frankenstein. Uh, It's either one of two wild things. Uh, One, I remember when I was really young, I think they were re-releasing a lot of the universal monsters on VHS tapes, like the old black and white ones. And I think Burger King had these glow-in-the-dark stickers they were putting with kids' meals. And that's one of my first distinct memories of seeing, like, Dracula and Frankenstein and the Mummy. Um, if it wasn't that, then honestly, it might be from Veggie Tales, which had, like, an homage <laughs> to Frankenstein in one of its episodes. So, yeah, not not the traditional exposure here either way, but... Uh, yeah, he's just always been so present every Halloween and you know and like the monsters and stuff. Like it's it's hard to escape Frankenstein anything even outside of horror.
1: It's weird because Frankenstein's a public domain character so anyone can actually use the idea of Frankenstein. They can't use some elements of Frankenstein like having like a bonus head because that's owned by like Universal itself, but Frankenstein appears so much in media that I don't remember even watching something Frankenstein focused, but I remember like different stories and tv shows and cartoons just have homages to frankenstein so that's how i know the character i don't think like the first time i actually saw someone like frankenstein's the main part it was a movie i watched back in the day monster pack uh, uh
0: monster pack or monster squad yeah monster squad that was oh an yeah I love real monster real squad.
1: Exposure. and that book that movie actually reminds me a lot of this book the monsters
0: yeah, yeah, and I think what's nice about the whole public domain aspect with Frankenstein is like the famous depiction from Universal with the bolts in the head and fire bad and such. Like that's not even true Frankenstein. Well, I haven't read the original book myself. I know that he's a much smarter and more interesting and complex character in Mary Shelley's novel. So like, yeah, he's very ripe for creative liberties whenever doing a depiction so yeah I mean if you want to work yeah, with a no um, character
1: it's weird because I actually read Frankenstein in high school and had read the book for like three months and had to write like plenty of essays on the character so i actually really familiar with Frankenstein original adaptation which is actually more like the, the Hulk in a sense he's not even like a, a more spurt version of the Hulk or. Probably a better example is like the thing where he's like pretty intelligent. He's just a a monster that just want to get laid.
0: Yeah, I, I think we've all been there, buddy. I can see why they made you read it in high school. I think we're all kind of monsters that just want to get laid at that time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but um, my first time actually seeing like Frankenstein in DC was uh, a book that came out later than this. Uh in Rebirth, run into Mossy's Superman, it was a crossover. Well, not even a crossover because this book was canceled by that point, but. It was Frankenstein, this adaptation from this series we're reading, and Lady Frankenstein actually appears in that book. And I was like, yeah, that's pretty awesome. So I actually did a little research and found out what this book, but I haven't read it till this episode.
0: Yeah, I'm. Not entirely sure if I've actually read Frankenstein in a DC book before this. Uh, he has a tendency to show up in other noteworthy books, uh, like in Infi- Infinite Crisis and Final Crisis and a few others, so it's very possible that I've actually seen him make an appearance that just wasn't very memorable, but yeah, this is my first time actually dedicating time to him in a DC book. Yeah, because
1: like DC and Marvel has used a lot of public domain characters, but we don't know what had a version of that character actually appearing in one book or what's like a different take. Like Dracula appears in like a whole bunch of DC books or Marvel books, but we don't know if it's like this, maybe different takes on Dracula. But I think the first time this Frankenstein appears like in a Graham Morrison run, like this type of Frankenstein.
0: Yeah. It's really weird. Uh, Frankenstein in DC goes back really far and it's a little hard to say like this particular rendition of the character, what his origin is, because like I- I'm not, talking with just like 20, 30 years here. I mean, Bob Kane, the creator of Batman, was working with Frankenstein in comics back in the 40s. Uh, and I know Len Wein, who is famous for his Hulk work and uh, creating Wolverine and other older good characters, he also kind of reworked this concept. And Grant Morrison kind of brought to life this particular uh, image of the character, of him being an agent of this organization called Shade. Uh, in 2005, but Grant Morrison loves to play with weird, obscure DC history, so it's very possible that this is the same character created by Bob Kane, or at least Len Wein, but it, it's really hard to say since, I mean, one, I haven't read his 2005 run on the character, and two, I don't think it's ever directly addressed in these books.
1: Yeah, and Frankenstein actually appeared a year before this, and like uh, DC Comics, like he appeared in uh, Flashpoint, uh, the event that actually caused me 52. He was a Frankenstein tie-in, and I don't think he I think he appears in one page in the actual Flashpoint book itself. But he's never really explained this as Frankenstein. But Frankenstein as a character. feels was like how they treat Santa Claus in a weird sense, because that Santa Claus appears so many different ways in DC. Like we have a Santa Claus that's like fighting superheroes, or a Santa Claus that delivered cold to Darkseid every Christmas. <laughs>
0: gosh yeah and like i know it doesn't work with continuity but like I love stories like that. I love that Frankenstein is present in this universe. Like, even if there's not much consistency to it, like, I feel like that's taking continuity too seriously. Like, let the let the creators play with these ideas, because, I mean, it's we're already dealing with so much weird stuff with 80 years of comic history, and still all these characters are in their 20s and 30s, so I see no reason why I can't <laughs> accept a bunch of different renditions of Frankenstein and Santa Claus.
1: <laughs> all right, moving on. How do you feel about the creative team here today?
0: I've heard a lot about uh, the writer Jeff Lemire, uh, just as a comics creator. He's probably among the 10 or 20 most respected comic writers right now. Uh, And there's a few notable characters he's worked on that people really love his run on, such as uh, Moon Knight and Doctor Strange. Uh, Sadly, I've read almost none of this guy's work, but... Of the characters he's worked on, his are often the runs that I plan to read someday if I dedicate time to those characters, namely with Moon Knight. Uh, I I did a little research and found out I had read one of his books, which was uh, Teen Titans Earth One, which I recall liking pretty well. But yeah, I I definitely respect the guy. He does a lot of weird stuff. His indie books, like Sweet Tooth, are very respected. So I'm really sad that he's kind of a blind spot for me in my comic knowledge because I know he's got a lot of respect in the industry.
1: have a similar history with his work. I know he done a lot of work, and we're actually going to tackle some of his best work in this New 52 podcast because he had a notable run in the characters of Animal Man and Swamp Thing, which is really interesting because it's like one known run made by two of the greatest comic creators by Grant Morrison and Alan Moore, and then it's Jeff Lemire right under that, and that is not a small feat by any sense of the word.
0: Yeah, and I know people generally like his runs on those books, which really says something just with Grant Morrison. Yeah, I think that's really impressive about Jeff Lemire. Like, Grant Morrison's run on almost any book is usually very distinct and usually pretty weird as well. Uh, and I know people generally like this run on Frankenstein and this run on Animal Man, so for him to be able to follow such a prolific work without being hated by the fans of those books uh, really says something about his adaptability. I mean, he's basically Grant Morrison-White when it comes to DC and the new 52.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I'm really excited to read his Animal Man and Swamp Thing because I have no exposure to his runs other than it's the best, the second best run for both characters. Uh, so how do you feel about the artwork, though?
0: Yeah, uh, so the pencils and inks of this book were done by uh, Alberto Ponticelli. And the art style is definitely unique. I'll give it that. It's kind of ugly and not super defined in some respects. Like uh, a lot of the facial features aren't terribly detailed. But the thing is, I think that actually really works for a book like this that's dealing with so many monstrous concepts and stuff. Everything's a little ugly. Some of it's a little blurry. But uh, since this is... On the edge of being a horror book, I think that lends itself very well to this.
1: Yeah, I really like this art style. It's really good, type of ugly when it's not repulsive to look at. But, you know, they're not supposed to be uh, pretty. These Monsters are not supposed to be pretty. These aliens are not supposed to be pretty. And I feel like the lack of detail really works for his benefit because he can make splash pages or pages with a whole bunch of like different monsters and make it feel like a, a scene in Doom, the video game. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. There are weird things that, like, I don't want to criticize him for because it might just be a matter of personal taste. But uh, the only thing I took issue with in his books are some of the fight scenes can be kind of hard to follow. Uh, We'll especially get into it if we discuss issue five where Frankenstein fights Omak. Uh, Some of the fight scenes, like, because this ugly and uncanny art style, it can be hard to follow what's happening or who has the upper hand. And in any of his fight scenes, he has a tendency to draw the same characters multiple times in the same panel to attempt to show movement or progression in the action. But usually when that's done in comics, there's like a little bit of fading to the earlier images that get more distinct as they go. Like that's common in Flash. Uh, He doesn't quite do that here. And I don't think I really love that method of displaying action in comic books but that really might just be a personal preference so i don't want to credit that as a flaw to his artwork
1: yeah i'm more of a more of a fan of it because I, I just i don't think think the point of the fight in a lot of fights and especially with the aliens just all over the place or different monsters is it just supposed to be chaotic i, I do feel like it would work better these sequences will work better in motion actually because just how Many things are going on on a single page. Sometimes, but yeah. I also really like its monster designs in this because they all feel like the the character they're trying to take it from, but he still put a little twist to each one of them. Like this Frankenstein looks different than most takes on Frankenstein. Or right, this uh, version of Lady Frankenstein looks different than most any version of Lady Frankenstein I've ever seen before.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and I really do need to give my hat off to some of his cover artwork in this book. Uh, some of it's just run of the mill superhero stuff, but other covers, like especially issues four and issue seven uh, really look like movie, po- movie posters for monster movies or pulp movies from different periods of time. So yeah, I, I really do appreciate his cover artwork if nothing else.
1: All right. Uh, you want to go into our little summary?
0: Yeah. So as the title of the book implies, Frankenstein is an agent of Shade, a secret high-tech government organization that's tasked with saving the world from monstrous threats that are too terrifying for the public to know about. Frank is dispatched to Bone Lake, Washington, a small town that's been overrun by hideous monsters from another dimension. His wife, Lady F, had previously been sent in, but has since gone missing, so it's up to Frankenstein to find his estranged wife, as well as the source of the monsters, and stop the invasion before the town gets nuked by the government. Thankfully, he's joined by a team of other agents resembling classic monsters, known as the Creature Commandos, who help him with this mission. Together, the team manages to invade the monster's home planet and wipe out their entire species and save the Earth. The first volume also contains other adventures of Frankenstein and the Creature Commandos, as we see them dispatched to handle threats like the rogue metahuman agent Omak and the near-omnipotent Captain Quantum. The climax of the story pits the monstrous heroes against an army of self-aware flesh golems that take over Shade's home base and release the vengeful failed experiments to make creature commandos in the first place. While Frank and his team come out victorious, the volume ends with the reveal that an incredibly dangerous top-secret threat was released during the commotion, and it's none other than Frankenstein's own son.
1: So, um... Let's talk about issue one. What's your thoughts on issue one of this book?
0: So... The first issue of the book has a few good aspects to it as far as horror comics go. Like the first couple pages is a good but typical opening of a horror story of just a like a grandfather and son. One person goes missing. Uh, there's a dead dog involved, which I'm not really here for. Uh, but other than that, the first issue is just a lot of rushed exposition heavy setup like right after this pretty good horror setup scene we're taken to a high-tech microscopic base with a bunch of text telling us how oh yeah agent the uh, the shades headquarters just a one-inch sphere that's like a metropolis inside and people shrink down and ray palmer the Atom, is there to help with this technology and While the concept is cool, there's a lot of better storytelling methods they could have used to introduce us to these concepts. So the first issue just feels like they're setting up the rest of the book as quickly as possible, showing us these monsters attacking, introducing these creature commandos, showing us like, okay, we got a fish person, wolfman, vampire, and mummy. Uh, These are their names and a little bit of what they can do, but uh, we don't really get any characterization of them. Uh, so it's just really a lot to process. So while it manages to set up more or less everything I need to know about this book, it never succeeds in making me care about anything in this book to make me want to buy more issues after the first.
1: It feels like a problem with a lot of like 80s action movies where the first 10 minutes is actually like a pain to get through because they just have to do all the standard that the, the writer director's not really interesting in doing, but they have to do to make the movie make sense. So, we like, we have to explain, like, the organization they worked for, or all the characters, or the main character, the premise, but that's not the interesting part in this book. So, you can feel that like the writer just trying to get us out the way.
0: Yeah. And it at least does help that. It, it frees up the following issues to be more free to explore what's going on and not have to set up like what the agency is and stuff. But honestly, I would have liked a little bit of slow burn because I left this entire volume not feeling like I had a great idea of who Frankenstein was, why he's carrying a sword and working for this agency. So if they had really just taken their time to slowly introduce these concepts as they're facing more minor threats than this extra dimensional monster invasion, uh, I feel like it would have left this book a lot more satisfied more willing to read more of it
1: yeah and that goes to like our first my first major point is i don't think this book really picks up to issue number three uh issue number two has a similar problem with issue number one that is like a really slow burn so that exposition heavy it has a little more action but i feel like i really start enjoying the book at issue three because that's when i that's when like the action start to show more uh The book became a lot more uh, humorous. And I just, it was easy to get through because, I mean, when you have more action pages, it's less exposition and dialogue and stuff like that.
0: So uh, I would agree with you that I was able to at least enjoy the book a little more once it became, once it got to the point that it was able to just focus on the action work with that. Uh, And it's interesting to see like these movie monsters be. Basically, GI Joes and these action scenes of like, okay, they got these huge vehicles, an army of robots, and these giant weapons that they're using to fight all these monsters. So, like, if this were a Saturday morning cartoon, I'd be all here for it. Uh, the problem is, like, this is a kind of mature ages comic book, so my standards for what the action should be are a little bit higher here. So, while well, I think the setup and the premises for the action is pretty interesting, uh, they never really made me feel like the characters were in any danger or there's there's action but there's no suspense to the action like the stakes are just way too high right off the bat they're swarmed by monsters as soon as they get to their planet and despite none of these characters being superman like they all are just handling themselves and yeah like they need to use some powers to get through it but uh, yeah like i it's just not very well defined what each character can do how powerful they are and whether or not they're ever in danger against the threats that are facing
1: yeah, it really feels like a co-op video game, the mm-hmm. sense where you're just playing, like random enemies and you can just take them down easily with the the buddies, like you're playing like Call of Duty Zombies or something like that, or just everybody's just a Doom guy, because I never felt the same way, like, I didn't really have, I didn't feel like any characters was going to die or anything, just how mm-hmm. like powerful this character is, uh, I just got enjoyment out of them, just finding ways to kill them, or uh, just call like random pulls or the random powers at a certain time, uh, I just found enjoyment from that. But if I was, like, judging each fight scene from fight choreography and how, how the fight actually relates to the story or subtext or anything, uh, you're not going to get that here in this book.
0: Yeah, and like you were saying earlier with uh, the setup feeling like an 80s action movie like before they'd really find their craft that's generally how i feel about the action across the book like when they're on the monster planet they throw this ticking time clock in there that they only have three hours to find these monster titans and slay them and get across the planet and get home in time but like that time clock just doesn't either work or make sense like for one thing they're on a whole monster planet where they have to s- solve these things. And they just get wherever they need to off panel. It's like, I can't walk across my dinky little Iowa city in three hours. So how are they getting place to place so fast? And how are they handling yeah. this so quickly? Like, it's uh, just,
1: they're just going to place to place so fast.
0: Yeah. They really just shouldn't have defined a time clock at all at that point, since it doesn't really serve the story at all. And if anything, it makes it make less sense. The
1: funny thing about it is it's just, it just feels so unnecessary because the mummy, the character that you wouldn't expect the man the spaceship actually picks up already up. And it's just a couple second countdown, but he goes to one group to another group all the way across the, the planet so fast. So clicking time clock doesn't even really give attention to the book. We, we just know they're just going to get out.
0: Mm. Yeah, and there's other action scenes throughout this book that like – the stakes should be a lot higher or the characters should be in a lot more danger, but they just kind of handle every problem without that much conflict or uh, at least that much struggle. I should say Uh, like in issue six, we see Frankenstein come across this uh, homage to Dr. Manhattan, like this omnipotent super being that was active in Vietnam. uh, And it's Frankenstein's job to take him out. And it kind of goes wrong. Like he puts this nuclear bullet in his head and then he grows and almost crushes the heroes. And then that's it. It, The fight's just done. Like they could have made them fight this awesome God, but instead it goes down easy, but not that easy, but still pretty easy at the end. And I I just thought that
1: was, I I can touch on that part right now, but I actually really like that issue itself because it plays with your expectation for this book. Because after we see this whole big fight scene with uh, them on the monster plane and all that, the next issue is uh, more different tone for the rest, from the majority of the book when it's more down to earth. Um, it's just talking about a character, this quantum guy, about how it's lonely about having superpowers and that he just wants to die. So I felt like it was more shocked that we didn't get action scene. I actually enjoyed how somber it was that he just shoots him. And you just think it's a fight scene when he grows, but he just dies. I feel like it was just playing an expectation with that. So I didn't really have a problem with that.
0: Yeah, and I'll admit this is the issue that started to give me a little better feelings about the book itself. The problem is they had an awesome concept with this. Like, I am with you that the idea of this story is great. Uh, and I liked where they were going with it. But they unfortunately had to dedicate page space to the subplot going on at shade headquarters with a lady F and Nina, the fish lady. So if they could have just given this story a little more breathing room, I I would have liked a lot more. Like I don't need a climactic fight here, but like, I just need them to kind of commit one way or another or, add a little bit more uh, gravity to the situation of like Frankenstein's needing to put down an old friend who's like kind of gone awry here. Uh, it's just, this is the kind of story that Jeff Lemire could tell really well, but due to demands on the book, he didn't get to tell it the best way possible.
1: Yeah, I do agree. Uh, I can really go without the shade subplot, at least like just have less page time because this is like, that was like the only issue when we really get to know the characters or that doesn't feel like actors. Doesn't have you like we actually get to know how Frankenstein and how long he operated since like the 19th century and that shade as a whole, and see a like, more personal side of Frankenstein other than him just being like a, a action movie star. Mm-hmm. And but, I, um, going the no, go ahead,
0: yeah, uh, I'll actually cut that. I'll let you go on ahead because mine's gonna really change the subject.
1: Yeah, I was just um yeah moving on though because we keep talking about like characters and all that. How do you feel about the? cast this book let's start with frankenstein
0: yeah so frankenstein himself i think seems interesting but uh as i mentioned earlier i left this book not feeling like i really knew that much more about the character like we get a little bit finding out like okay so he's been with shade for a while he feels the need to defend humanity he was active in vietnam but i I just need a little bit of an origin story or uh, a little bit to tell me why he is the way he is. Uh, And that explanation just never really comes in this book. And when they're rushing all this setup in the first four issues, I feel like they could have at least dedicated a page or uh, maybe like a dossier file on what the heck Frankenstein's deal is. Why is Mary Shelley's monster going around with a knockoff version of S.H.I.E.L.D. facing these high-tech threats with apparently the angel of justice or something sword i forget if it was like michael or gabriel like uh, awesome concept i just need a little bit more information here to really appreciate it
1: yeah i like Frankstein a little more but i do agree it's a lot more subtle of developing or getting to know this character. it's not any like flat out explanation of why is this way but i Frankenstein reminds me of uh brock hampton Samson from Reventry Brothers mixed with a little oh, of Revenge. Yeah, yeah um, that's actually a pretty good description of him. He got the, like, really, like, he's an old person and trying to catch up to times. Um, especially because, like, uh, a lot of his teammates are cracking jokes, and Frankenstein's like, uh, I like it more serious. And you actually see, like, Frankenstein try to crack a joke, even though it was a pretty bad one. So he gets a little bit development, but he's mostly just, like, sane, crazy person that just likes violence. Um, I did like one scene he had with, uh, it was the priest in the city, the first city where, like, the like of a monster evasion. And that scene, he was like killing kids and it was like a corrupt priest. Uh, and he just like says this old lady that Frankenstein raft do not discriminate and just knocks her out. I felt like that was a good scene, but, um, it, it was a lot subtle with this character Frankenstein in this.
0: Yeah, and I will admit that's probably my favorite Frankenstein moment. I hate to say that him hitting an old woman is my favorite Frankenstein moment, but I think it tells you a lot about this character of like, yeah, he's not going to discriminate against whoever is an evildoer. He's going (laughs) to brutalize them just the same as if they were a big hulking monster.
1: Yeah, One nitpick I do have with Frankenstein here is though, someone who studied Frankenstein forcefully in high school Uh, it just bothers me that names after Frankenstein
0: uh, I'm. can you
1: elaborate that, on that a bit uh, well if you read the book Frankenstein is the professor who makes Frankenstein and the monster is just a monster I wish he just touched on that a little bit because it really bothers me at most adaptations I know it's a minor nitpick and all but it just bothers me that they call the monster itself Frankenstein
0: Yeah, I I think that's just kind of leaning into pop culture at this point, and I've seen YouTubers like uh, Cinemassacre go into the whole filmography of Frankenstein, and even the movies get to a point where they just refer to the monster as Frankenstein. So, uh, I I can see past it here, Uh, but yeah, uh, definitely an understandable nitpick. All right,
1: let's move to the next one. What do you want to talk about next?
0: Yeah, so I'd kind of like to talk about just the creature commandos as a whole with uh, we've got Nina, the that resembles the creature from the black lagoon, the kind of scientist who makes the rest of the squad. You've got Callus, this mysterious mummy who's thousands of years old. And then you've got Griffith, the werewolf and Velcoro, the vampire who uh, are just kind of like agents of some sort that got changed by Nina uh, that signed up for this. And while I think their character z- designs are pretty interesting, I don't have many thoughts on them because Nina is the only one who gets any kind of backstory or development in this book. Uh, Whereas, like, all we know about Griffith is that he's a very straightforward, focused agent that respects his elders. And uh, Velcoro is, like, the cool but rude one of the bunch. And uh, there's interesting aspects to them, but we just don't really get enough for me to feel like I have a grasp on these characters to form an educated opinion.
1: I actually have the opposite opinion on these characters. I do feel like we don't get enough spotlight, but I actually like how they get enough for me to actually like start enjoying their presence. I can say in the first two issues, where they were pretty generic, uh, mostly just like looking up the Frankenstein as a hero, but uh, later on, especially uh, the vampire and werewolf one, I, I really enjoyed their page time because at first they it's like a strange like sitcom as romance between the two that develops because they go they have like a lot of back and forth even though they don't take a and it's really just like a a panel or two but you can see them slowly develop as uh, friends uh and even though at the start they were like bickering a lot so it felt like uh siblings arguing uh the Mermaid the professor when they created the Moses commandos uh she was the weakest for me but I did like how it was a uh, her and Frankenstein was like a little flirty with each other later on and i enjoyed that and the mummy was the the most weirdest of the group but he did have a really moment that uh made me laugh out loud where uh vampire was like cracking joke and like touched him and like dead dead face like mummy just says don't touch him i don't know what it just made me like laugh so i feel like you know we have limited time with the characters. i did enjoy their presence in the book
0: yeah and what I will say in their credit is, I'm curious to see more about all of these. Like the mummy, especially, I think is going to have an awesome backstory if they ever touch on it. Like he's seen to be kind of the most powerful one of the group. He takes out a whole continent of monsters with one blast from his mummy staff. So, I, yeah, I really want to see more of him. And I like aspects they have with the others, like how Velcoro's vampire stuff is based on a man bat from the the Batman villain. Uh, I like that they just added that little continuity between books there. But I I think my biggest gripe with the creature commandos is you have these characters that are monsters, but they don't play with that at all. Like, you never see uh, Velcoro needing to feed on someone or uh, Griffith kind of losing control as a werewolf, which I admit is a little bit tropey at this point with monsters, but that's just not replaced with anything or even addressed of, like, Uh, Okay, like we don't even see them being discriminated against for looking like monsters. Like they might as well just be superheroes in this book, which is a big gripe I have. Is like this whole book for the most part could have been replaced with any superhero team. Like this could have been the challengers of the unknown for all they actually play with the concept of monsters here.
1: Yeah, I didn't think of like especially the werewolf and um, the uh, vampire one. I never thought of them as like actual monsters. When I was reading it, I just it just looked like uh, Chandler and Joey from Friends from <laughs> <and laughs> Ashley being monsters. Uh, but That's a like, great comparison. I feel like the main problem with this is that it's, it's like a stem from like 80s action movies, even though they have more time here to develop characters, that like if you watch some of those action movies, these characters are just here for props to like be for fight scenes and just crack Joseph's common belief characters. Like I, I doubt anyone can name characters from like The Predator other than um. Uh, Seem uh other than like the main character, you
0: know? Uh yeah. Well, I, I just remember Billy was the one with the knife because I loved that such a big awesome character had a name like Billy.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but, but like they're mostly just there Dutch. for nobody no one's favorite characters are like the side characters of an action movie. So that's like mm-hmm. the biggest dumb. So I don't I doubt they ever get the development other than just being like there for jokes or they're just yeah, there for like cool fight scenes.
0: Although I will say the exception to the rule is a last member of the creature commandos, and that being uh, Lady F or Bride of Frankenstein, however you want to refer to her and her i actually appreciated a bit more just because they didn't stick to the classic bride of frankenstein design at all and they just kind of played with what you can do with a character that's cobbled together from other parts like she has four arms and is wielding guns with all four of them and you can tell she has some kind of dark past or falling out with frankenstein that i happen to know does get expanded on in the next volume uh, and yeah i, I actually really enjoyed her as a character just because i felt like she was a little more developed than anyone else on the team
1: <laughs> it was really funny to watch this character i had it was really enjoyable to see uh, this character on screen i just like the concept of having frankenstein and you would just think like the bride of frankenstein would be like a normal like husband or wife or whatever but they're divorce actually in the book so they're bicker like a divorce couple sometimes mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that keeps getting addressed. Like, he keeps referring to her as his bride. And like, hey, you haven't been together for decades. That's, yeah. I don't know how much you'll appreciate that.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, and she's, like, just a fun character just for action scenes. It was, like, one time they were, like, fighting a giant monster, and she commanded, like, the werewolf and a vampire guy do something, and they asked her what she's doing, and she just says, like, something like, yeah, I'm just gonna be hot and stand here or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it was just a fun character for this type of book.
0: Yeah, but leading into the other characters, though, uh, I did want to at least touch on some of the supporting cast and setting of this. Uh, like we've got Father Time act, uh, acting as the director of Shade. Uh, right, how do you
1: how do you feel about Father Time? Because he he had some thoughts about that uh, before we recorded
0: this. Uh, um, so in this book, Father Time is depicted as like a eight year old schoolgirl, like an eight year old Asian schoolgirl at that. Uh, and i like the idea they have here that father time every decade takes a new body kind of like doctor who or something uh so i don't mind him being reincarnated in, in a ridiculous form like a young girl but i feel really weirded out by the fact that they dress him or i guess they do use her proper pronouns here they dress her as a young schoolgirl. it's like you know if you're leading this organization, you can wear a tiny pantsuit or something. I don't get why you're playing into the stereotype here of the schoolgirl thing. Uh, it just seemed kind of weird and unnecessary. And they don't even really play with it that much. Like Frankenstein, being a ten out of ten person, respects her pronouns, but uh, other than that, like it's never even really addressed that Father Time is a child. Hardly.
1: I I actually enjoy the Father Time character, just because how. Wacky and just comic booky, it is that it just it fills right out of the indie comic book. Like, I see in like Umbrella Academy or something because mm-hmm. it's it doesn't really play and it doesn't really matter that this is a father time's a little girl and it doesn't really play into the plot or anything. But it's just strange and funny just to think about that, especially because this character is a uh, pretty crazy, it really plays in the fact that father Tom is a mad scientist so him just being a little um, her being a little girl is really f- funny to me
0: yeah I mean they definitely took the idea and ran with it so I can appreciate what they're going for I just would have liked maybe a little bit more use of the idea yeah I feel like it's a really the, the joke was that you're not supposed to pay
1: too much attention to it but I also think i has some of the best jokes in this because he's like really smug sometimes like he's the one that um, calls out frankenstein that uh his, wife, his uh lady frank doesn't love him or they haven't been like together in like 70 years or something like that and there's a uh, part with the when uh the drones or whatever was attacking and they were like making their commands like robots will lead and you guys will be your servants and father time just says um what was it grant uh we don't interrogate with terrorists or something like
0: that oh yeah we don't negotiate with terrorists yeah so <laughs> Yeah, these flesh golems, the humanids that have been like the servants of this agency, like gain self-awareness. And they're like, hey, uh, we want this base and we want our freedom. And he's like, "Ah, we don't negotiate with terrorists. And that's the end of that.
1: (laughs) And that just made me laugh out loud (laughs) because it's something like this character would say. I just didn't expect it. And it's like other instances, like uh, it's like a whole bunch of robots or whatever that just meant for killing. And it's called like the toy box. And one of the scientists just hand Father Time a controller and they just, like, start playing it with, like, a gaming controller and just start controlling it, like, as a video game. I just found, like, Sandrick Father Time, like, really funny.
0: Yeah, I do enjoy a lot of what they set up here. Um, Yeah, like, Shade itself as an organization, I find really interesting. Uh, I think they do some unique stuff with giving them, like, a microscopic home base that they have to shrink themselves to get in and out of. Uh, and like is very it's basically swimming in government funding uh so i think they do some creative things here i just wish we could have seen like a little more of it or gotten maybe some more explanations to shade because we see they're not the only government agency out there dealing with metahuman threats like we see checkmate in issue five and it's just never really touched on like what the difference is between these agencies, uh, or any of the specifics behind like how Shade came to be or what its purpose is. Yeah, all I get from um, Shade is like instead of like handling like straight metahuman,
1: like a different place like Argus or uh, Checkmate or something like that, they just handle monster related themes because and it's just weird that they've been around for such a long time, like since like the 19th century. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know, like the little scene with. Like, I did, like, the uh, opening shots, sometimes, some issue you had with, uh, you could see the base just floating around different countries. Like, we see the Metropolis or Paris, and it's just, like, a small cube just hovering.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that is one thing about the art, is I don't think they quite depict that in the best way, which is why every time you see that, they need to have a little exposition on the screen explaining what you're seeing. Uh, I really don't want to put down anyone that's far more talented than I am, but I do feel like that's usually a sign of a failing on the part of the artwork for a book if you need exposition to explain what you're seeing.
1: Yeah, let's let's move on to the second in supporting cast member, uh, Ray Palmer, the Adam, even though he's not the, the Adam in this book. How do you, what's your thoughts on him?
0: Uh, I really liked having him around. Uh, I thought it made a lot of sense because they have this shrinking base of shade Uh, then like they get the technology from the atom who's famously known as the shrinking superhero Uh, i also like some of the stuff they do with him like when the head of shade gets under attack like he just kind of activates the shrinking technology and is still shown to be pretty tough and can handle himself in a fight despite the fact that he's seemingly not a superhero yet in this world or doesn't act as one Uh, But, yeah, I I thought it was a pretty interesting support cast member just as, like, the normal straightforward scientist that's dealing with these weird situations just kind of overseeing Shade and reporting back to the government. Like, it it is a nice juxtaposition to uh, Father Time and the other scientists that we see in Shade that are just very weird and zany.
1: Yeah, it's weird because I actually really like how he was the straight man in this book. Especially, he's just a normal guy compared to all these monsters or Father Time. That's the uh, <laughs> that's the little girl. It's so weird that Adam is chosen here as a character, especially because this is like a niche title, and Adam is such a long-standing character in the DC universe. Even though he's not like like an A-list character, like Batman, and Superman, and the Flash. He'd been around for a while since the 60s. Like, he came out a year after Barry Allen was introduced, and he'd been like a Just League member, or, like a member of the superhero community throughout his time as a character. He had many different solo series or whatever, but he's just used as a supporting character in the Frankenstein book. I just didn't, it's just a weird choice to have him here instead so of him getting his own series because everyone's getting their own series.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, I think he's just one character that I'm not sure the universe quite has room for to support their own book. I don't hear a lot of demand for more Adam books, uh, whereas even like Ant-Man over at Marvel, I think has a little more he can play with with the legacy of the character and the playing with ants. A uh, guy who can just shrink. Awesome as a sporting cast member, but yeah, I'm not feeling the need to read a book of his own anytime soon. <laughs>
1: That's understandable. But other than that, he's really, he really handled well in this book.
0: Yeah, so one thing I touched on earlier was uh, this other organization we see with Checkmate that leads into probably my biggest problem with this particular volume, and that the fish, fifth issue is dedicated to a crossover with OMAC, a pretty much completely unrelated book that's also pretty obscure among the new 52 titles.
1: Yeah, it's... The idea of having this crossover, I don't know, it was just the both writers wanted just to crossovers just crossover with each other because it's strange because you usually have a niche title paired with uh characters like Batman, Superman. I see a lot with Marvel when they just team Spider-Man up, have a crossover with Spider-Man with a book just to boost sales a little bit. But OMAX and Frankenstein is like two niche books, especially OMAC <laughs> only lasted like a single volume. And it's just a lot getting introduced about the OMAX supporting cast or Ormac stuff about the or macbook itself but it doesn't really play into frankenstein other than just being the fight scene at the end and it does play in later with uh the concept of brother eye that's uh uh sentient ai similar to otron get actually hacks shade and uh hacks the shade's computer and database and whatever and plays into with the rest of the issues but other than itself this, this issue seems really unnecessary
0: yeah, um I won't go too far into this because we're gonna be covering OMAC's book pretty soon here, but the real problem is that they made a crossover out of what should have just been a guest appearance. Like Frankenstein's book isn't really served at all by having OMAC show up, and I won't really know till next week how much Omac really needed this, but like having Frankenstein show up as an Omac villain, OMAC's book, that works, and I believe that actually works better in that side of the crossover. Uh, But on this end, all we really get is the fact like, okay, so OMAC is tied into Brother I, this huge artificial intelligence, and that AI is then what lets the humanids or the fleshy servants of Shade gain self-awareness and lead this rebellion. But... With how weird and wild this book is, you didn't need Brother I to do that. There's a million other things they could have used to explain how the humanids become self-aware. And, like, the, even the book lends itself to that. They explain how they've started recycling these things. Like, they only live 24 hours before they decompose into an energy source. But now, they started recycling them into new humanids. So, just play with that. Just say, like, oh, hey, by recycling these, they start to retain a little intelligence and they eventually gain self-awareness. Yeah, so... Totally unnecessary to have this OMAC crossover, and I'm all right with unnecessary cr- crossovers, but at least do something fun with them or something a little interesting if you're gonna throw it into your book.
1: It doesn't even sell OMACs to me.
0: Like I'm not interested. If
1: I was reading time I'm not interested enough to like, go check out OMACs. Like OMAC had this dumbest transformation uh, line. It's OMACtivate. Oh, it doesn't even flow. It's not catchy. It's it, it, it fails of just being a transformation phase in all levels.
0: Yeah, like for one thing, they don't establish that the omek is someone that like kind of like Shazam is a person that turns into a super being. So Frankenstein's dispatch to bring him in, he drops from the sky to attack this normal looking person rather than you know talking to him. Uh and yeah, the guy just looks back up and he's like, Oh, uh activate!" and now he's a big hulking blue guy with a fin on his head uh more thoughts on that next week but yeah, uh, yeah. we're gonna talk about that because right, that, that killed my
1: all interest in max system saying that
0: yeah it's just it's one of those things where it, it, it do, it's not only just a stupid phrase to see in a dc book i think it fails even in comparison to like power rangers or ben 10 or like other (laughs) children's superheroes that have activating phrases like ah yeah just very contrived and forced we're
1: both power rangers fan and like we both know morphin time is stupid but at least it sounds fun to say or i'm the biggest ben 10 fan ever and like hero time is like dumb but at least it's like fun it's like something there and omactivate is just literally omac plus activate that is that's just dumb
0: yeah well yeah overall just this issue made me think omak just seems kind of lame and didn't really push me toward getting his book at all uh but what they do with him and using brother eye to work into the next story arc of the uh, humanid servants uprising uh, I i think that was maybe the most blatant area where we see that the heroes just never really struggle with anything they come up against like Uh, The heroes return to Shade's home base and just take these guys out without issue. Uh, They release all these weird early experiments on creature commandos that have some pretty interesting designs and seem really threatening, but... Lady Frankenstein just kills them with guns. <laughs> uh, mostly off-panel at that. So, like, here I thought we were going to do something cool with these characters resembling, like, the Blob and the Invisible Man, but no, no, bullets will do. You could have called the Punisher for this, or, like, any... You, you could have called Paul Bart with a gun, and he could have handled this.
1: <laughs> That's a good point. Um Yeah, because especially because a lot of this stuff was established earlier in Exposition, and, like, issue two with, like, the these were like the first experiments that uh, Mermaid did and it handled really easily for something that should had a lot of setup towards them.
0: Yeah, and I'm just surprised they introduced this concept and got rid of it so fast because it's an interesting way to explore nina's backstory because we find out like oh hey uh the wolf and the vampire weren't the only people she tried to turn into monsters like these things want revenge on her because she turned them into hideous things and then they locked them up in a microscopic prison which is another thing i really take issue with with the last two issues here is like shade is the bad guys compared to their own villains like the humanids just want freedom these uh monsters were probably locked up against their will and they don't explore that at all. That like shade is kind of in the wrong in all these situations.
1: Hey, hey Father Time's playing the terrorists. So I agree with Father Time.
0: negotiate. They're not terrorists. They just want freedom. Dang. It. <laughs> you could have just like replaced them with robots and send these guys off to a farm somewhere or something. Like
1: uh, you have I- to start blasting.
0: <laughs> yeah, I- I'm okay with the. Uh, shade being a very morally gray organization i just want them to actually expand on that a little more not just have like these bad guys that have a point show up and then they immediately get killed and there's no consequence to it which is overall just a big problem i have with this book is the overall lack of consequences to anyone's actions i didn't i didn't didn't mind as much as you but i do see your points there yeah so just wanting to kind of wrap things up here on our point but like I know you've mentioned liking this overall as an action book, but like, how do you feel about the lack of challenge here with these heroes or just uh, really the way they use these characters in this book? Like, do you think we could have had better characters used or do you think this would have been better played if like we swapped it out with another superhero team? Uh, I'm just kind of curious for your thoughts on that.
1: I feel like the book really just works. What the book's trying to do. I, I, like after reading this, I didn't like fundamentally think about how comics work or how these characters are used or whatever. But I did have, I feel like Jeff just wanted to do a fun action comedy book. And I enjoyed that. I'm not, it didn't have much depth. And the depth it did have, I did enjoy with the backstory with uh, Quantum and uh, Frankenstein. But um, I saw it as just a fun video game or a good episode of G.I. Joe or another Saturday morning cartoon. And then that's all I saw it as. I don't mind that stuff, especially because I I have read a lot of comics that try to be this grandiose Grant Morrison us, uh, make me fundamentally think about characters. But sometimes I just want to read a fun comic book.
0: So yeah, it sounds like you've got pretty positive feelings there. So I'm curious where you put this book on a scale of one to ten.
1: And I have to give it an eight out of ten, actually, which might seem a little high, but it's my it's my and go-to rating for books that just really fun time but not like outstanding like if this book was like a movie or or an anime series i would probably like it a lot more but as it is now i just it's a good funny action book to me it but one thing it doesn't really feel like dc either so it, it makes sense for a lot of like non-main to publisher people to like actually get on this book it feels a lot like more like a umbrella academy or a hellboy uh,
0: this is by far going to be our biggest disagreement on scores yet because i am only going to give this book a three out of ten which oh. might seem drastically okay. low but i think a lot of that is expectation and uh just hoping for more from the premise. Cause I had heard good things about Frankenstein agent of shade, and I've always heard good things about Jeff Lemire as a writer. I think this premise is awesome. Having these monster government agents and stuff, but none of it is executed well. And I know Jeff Lemire has a lot more talent than what I'm seeing in this book. So yeah, like I said, there's plenty of action, but that doesn't mean it's exactly good or like holds my interest. Cause I never feel like anyone's in any danger. Uh, it kind of fell on its face for me in an action book it's almost like a transformers movie like just because something has plenty of action doesn't mean it's good and if they could have just leaned in one of the directions like if they want this to just be like a silly fun action book like gi joe with monsters lean more into that or if you want this to be a bit more serious and dark dealing with the nature of these monsters and how it how it feels to be so different from normal people. Lean into that. Instead, we just get this very lukewarm middle ground between the two that really could have been something more. And I was hoping for that with this book. And just, yeah, expectations were completely unmet.
1: Yeah, yeah. We just had different. I feel like our biggest, biggest difference is we both had different expectations when Ashley coming into the book.
0: So. We ask this question every time we cover the first volume of a book, and I think we're going to be a little less informed this time around because it's our first time reading uh, Frankenstein, Agent of Shade in any form. But would you say you recommend this version of the book? Uh,
1: Well, this is a hard question because I don't know what else I would give them. They just want to read DC Frankenstein as like the main subject. But I would probably just give it to someone who into this style of comics. Like the indie, or if somebody on the like Brel Academy for a Hellboy fan, I'd probably give them this book. I don't know, it's like not the average superhero book, so it matters probably person to person. But if they just want to read like a fun book, I'd probably give it to them.
0: Yeah, uh, I know I'm making an uninformed decision here, but I really respect Grant Morrison as a writer and have a little bit higher expectations of him. And the fact that this idea has stayed around since. 2005 or Grant Morrison's reinvention, I would probably push that original series that Grant Morrison wrote toward a new reader rather than this. Uh, I might be making a completely wrong decision there, but yeah, if someone wants like the DC version of Hellboy with a monster slaying other monsters, I have the feeling that that's going to be the better book between the two.
1: I mean, that's hard to give them because I mean, I haven't read the book, but the book doesn't seem really Frankenstein centric because it's a it's a team book with a whole bunch of magic characters like um Antana or uh, like uh Clarion the witch boy so I don't know how much heavily it is actually evolved in like Frankenstein but I know it's like has a Frankenstein with like a sword in a gut.
0: So, as we bring our episode to a close here, uh, we're doing something a little different for the question of the week. Since this is our very first Halloween special, uh, we wanted to talk about what our favorite horror movie tradition is. So, just not quite your favorite horror movie, but what's your favorite one to put on in October when you get the chance, just to really put you in the mood for Halloween?
1: Ooh, I like to put on uh, the original Halloween
0: uh, the old 70s John Carpenter one with uh, the original yeah, Michael I play- Myers.
1: I play yeah
0: I play that one and I play Chucky. Mm, okay, Gr- great choices on both accounts. Uh, yeah, I, Halloween the original one I think is a great choice. Uh, really, the first two especially, not just because of like the title and the subject matter and the, how influential it was to slasher movies, but like they're very orange movies. Like there's a lot of Halloween imagery to them. So uh, yeah, it's just really great for putting you in the mood of like Halloween and trick or treating. And Chucky is just kind of a pinnacle as far as B-horror movie slashers go. Like, it's a stupid movie, but yeah, I uh, share your fondness of Chucky. <laughs> or Child's Play, I guess we should yeah, say. Child's Play, yeah. But mine uh, also kind of tackles uh, Halloween itself. Uh, it's a movie that's a little more obscure. It's a 2007 film called Trick or Treat. Uh, there's an apostrophe on the R, so yeah, weird to pronounce. But yeah, it's a bit of a horror anthology with all these intertwined stories uh, focused on this one little boy in a pumpkin mask referred to as Sam and you just see some awesome stuff like this town explores some of its urban legends regarding a bus that crashed on Halloween Uh, see things with uh, serial killers stalking some unsuspecting victims and I love horror anthologies in general, and this is by far my favorite one. So since it's taking place on Halloween, during trick-or-treating night, I just feel like this is the best modern Halloween movie we've ever really seen. And I really hope it gets a little more traction, because I know it's starting to really develop its own kind of cult following.
1: Definitely. I haven't seen the movie myself, but I'm, I should, I'm definitely going to check it out for this Halloween.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I, be, I can't
1: do anything other than stay in the house.
0: Ah, uh, yeah. O- almost every year, it comes onto some streaming service. Like I usually caught it on Netflix. Uh, I think it might be on Hulu or Amazon this time around. Maybe even HBO Max. But yeah, give it a watch, uh, not just you, but any of our listeners, because I think you'll also find this to be just kind of a perfect mood-setting film for uh, Halloween.
1: All right, Grant. It seems like the ended up. So you want to
0: wrap it up? Yeah, I mean that does bring our episode to a close. So we'd like to thank you once again for giving our podcast a chance. Uh, we also want to give a shout out to Lady Grayson for designing our new logo. You can find her at Lady on Twitter. If you want to check out some of her work, uh, if you have a question of the week that you'd like to hear featured on the show, you can send it to us on social media. We're on Facebook as comically confused and on Twitter is at new 52 podcast. And finally, if you could leave us a review on your podcatcher of choice, you'd really be helping us out as that bumps us up a lot in the algorithms. We hope you enjoyed the episode and will join us again next week where we'll be covering OMAC Volume 1. Until then, we'll still be here comically confused.